1: we uh,
0: wake up each day with all the things that lay before us we should cry out in prayer and say father let me reckon upon the anchor of hope jesus is your hope he is your only hope to know truth to walk in the way to live in the reality of his life we should cry, Lord, let us see with, greater, with a greater clarity the truth that holds us. I ask for that quite often. Because everything around us is moving, isn't it? Let us forsake all that distracts us. Let us confess before all of heaven that we desire to live this temporal life in the fullness of our created purpose. Bring a revival to our souls. A revival that shakes our being awake from the lethargy of living to and from the temporal. Instill in us a greater passion for your word. As I was thinking about this, immediately my mind drew me back to what I believe is in reality my life first, and it should be your prayer for each day. Philippians three ten and eleven. For our determined purpose is that we may know him progressively we may know him and become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly that we may in the same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection which it exerts over believers and that we may so share his sufferings as to be continually continually transformed in spirit into his likeness even to his death in the hope that if possible we may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts us up from among the dead even while in the body you know we live among the dead Every life that walks about you that doesn't know the Lord Jesus as his Savior, that doesn't know Jesus as his life, is dead. They have no wisdom. They have no grasp of truth. They live only to the appetites of their flesh. That we may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts us out from among the dead. That doesn't mean that we are jettisoned from their midst. It means that we walk in a greater reality, in a greater truth. We are spiritual people. We are animated by the Spirit of God. We are made for eternity. This is a prayer of determined faith that refuses to be shaken or waver, that denies the temporal and its insistence to be recognized and relegates it back to the backdrop of the activity of a sovereign God who is incomparably greater and to Jesus who is our life and our great reward. That's how we're called to live. Do I see this life? Do I see all this activity? Do I see all that's happening? Do I see the turmoil? Do I see the things that are coming to against us simply as a backdrop for the activity of God? Because that's what it is. He spoke it into existence. He could let it go tomorrow. But what he will never let go, what he will never release his grip on is your life. For he has made you spiritual and made you to live for eternity. Why? He loves you that much. He wants you to be in his presence for eternity. He loves you that much. Otherwise, you'd have a sell-by date on you. He'd be dumping you pretty quick. I'm not sure I would have ever made the refrigerator. The reality of it is that God has such a desire for us to mature and grow in faith. So that we can walk in the fullness of his love and know his desire for us. And in that desire we can live with hope. We can live with confident assurance. We can face whatever may come. Because if we do not embrace that truth, if we do not live in the fullness of that truth, then we are shaken. Then we are constantly made seasick from all of the rolling and back and forth of this life. This is the heart of James as he seeks to incite believers to to a determined, unshakable faith that will hold to the truth in the face of tribulation. So that believers will regard every trial as an invitation to strengthen them in faith. That's why God has them. He allows them. He allows them. And from God's point of view, from all the spiritual world's point of view, He takes the weak. He takes the temporal. He takes those things that are literally bound for dust. And he puts them before us in the way of trials. And he says, believe. I'm going to lift you above these things. Believe. Because you are made of unshakable eternal stuff. Embrace the truth. I'm inviting you to know my overcoming power in this. I'm inviting you to know the sovereignty of my will in this. I'm inviting you to know my unshakable love for you in this. Don't run away. Don't doubt me. Return my embrace. Today our text will be James chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. Before we begin, I want to give you a little context to help you understand why James takes the approach he does. And I'm not going to spend a great deal of time talking about all the speculation concerning James and why we've come to the conclusion that he is the James that he is. But most scholars agree that the writer of James is, in fact, Jesus' half-brother, Now, we know about James that he did not know Jesus as his Lord or Messiah until after the resurrection. That was when Jesus appeared to him, and you can read about that in John chapter 7, verse 4, and 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7. And after Pentecost, he became, over a matter of time, he became the leader of the church of Jerusalem, which was the mother church for Jewish Christianity, and then later for the Gentile believer. He was the brother of Jude, also known as Judas, who penned the book of Jude. He was the half, Jude was the half-brother of Jesus as well. He rose to uh, prominence as the leader of the Jerusalem church, and he was known for his wisdom and unwavering adherence to truth. He was called James the Just or James the Righteous. How would you like to have a name like that? Well, he has another one that's not quite so uh, flowery. They knew him, they called him Camel Knees because he spent a great deal of his time kneeling as camels do, praying. Now, James is a very plain-spoken individual. He comes straight to the point, a man after my own heart. He speaks exactly what, he, what, what God has told him to speak. And he doesn't add a lot to it. He can be very direct. He uh, presided over that church in a time that was really hard. In a time when that church and the church of God needed a strong personality. An unwavering personality. And it needed a man who has yielded to the guidance of the Spirit of God, who insisted on the truth every time. He was dealing with very difficult circumstances due to the persecution of Christian Jews and the heavy hand of the Roman Empire. The vast majority of Christians were converted Jews who had been present at Pentecost and since had been scattered all over the known world due to the persecution. There was a lot of unrest and confusion in the body. Many of the Jews were divided in their faith. Some were attending the Christian fellowship to hear the gospel and then turning around and going to the synagogue or to the temple to maintain relationships with their Jewish brethren. And you see, that caused a bit of a duality. So some were arguing to maintain some of the Jewish customs in the Christian church. So you will see a great deal of similarity between the book of James and the book of Hebrews. They pretty much target the same audience, that is the Hebrew believer. While uh, Hebrews had a specific fellowship in mind, James was speaking to all of them. All of the scattered all of the believing Jews that would receive this letter. And because James had no doubt heard and experienced some of the difficulties that these Jewish believers were facing, and because the Spirit of God had inspired him to do so, James picks up a pen to write them. And as pastor, James writes these Jewish believers to remind them that true faith, biblical faith must be demonstrated in the way they live. True biblical faith is a way of life. It's not just a belief. Now, some people find this letter a little convicting, and it is, because it will leave no room for compromise with the flesh and the world. However, it does not call us to anything that we're not already equipped for as believers, or to a way of life, That we aren't made for as new creations. It is timely because we are in difficult times. Times that should be calling us to be more determined in our faith. So let's look at our text. James chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. Please stand with me as I read. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve Hebrew tribes scattered abroad among the Gentiles in the dispersion. Greetings. Rejoice. Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. But be assured that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let endurance have its perfect result, And do a thorough work, so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking in nothing. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So in verse 1, we have an introduction to the writer and the target audience. Now, the introduction sounds familiar because Paul had used one like that, or a similar one, but it is, in fact, different. Paul used to introduce himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he was very specific about his audience. Uh, A letter was titled uh, or addressed to a specific audience. James gives himself no official title, though he could have given many. He was the brother of Jesus, the head of the Jerusalem church, renowned teacher and authority on scripture, but he was credentialed. He refers to himself as the doulos or a slave. Now this is not a denigration. It is a powerful reference because I can be assured that he is not representing a personal bias or a religious agenda he is bringing the word of God to me slavery demands absolute obedience the master's word is law it implies humility it implies absolute loyalty and he will be true to the master's word it was one of the greatest titles of the old testament Moses was the doulos of God and as were Joshua and Caleb and so were the patriarchs also Job and Isaiah And Paul always used a Christian greeting that was more specific. But James' greeting was secular and an open greeting because of the broad and open audience to which he is addressing. And he writes to the 12 Hebrew tribes scattered abroad among the Gentiles in dispersion. Greetings. Rejoice. So just like the book of Hebrews, it's written specifically to Hebrew believers. And it's to all Hebrew believers. It includes all 12 tribes. And it is likely that some of the recipients of this letter, or some of those that had actually heard the letter read, were at one time members of his congregation, but had been dispersed because of the persecution that they faced. They'd been scattered because of the persecution. And it was difficult. Now, I don't want you to believe... And I don't believe James or the Spirit of God wants you to believe that this dispersion was happenstance or the work of the enemy or that God didn't intend that to happen. That's never the case. The enemy works by permission. And the fact that these believing Jews were dispersed worked in the plan of God. It was the plan of God. As hard as it is to believe... God would allow a family to be uprooted, to lose their possessions, to endure persecution. In order that they might go forward in his plan, it is the absolute truth. Now in this day and time, someone would say, why would a loving God cause this to happen? He didn't cause it to happen, he allowed it to happen. Most of what we endure, we endure because of sin. We endure because of the sin curse upon our body and upon this world. You're enduring getting older, as I am. Well, you know why you're doing that? Because you need to be able to let go of this house and move into a better one. Isn't that a good idea? He's actually preparing you for something better. And that is the way of the Christian life. We think that the death of one thing in our life is the end of life. But we never define life by our circumstances, by the difficulties of life, by the, by the body and, and its health or its vitality. We define life by Christ. And we're moving forward in eternity. And as we move forward, things are going to begin to drop off. And one of the things that will drop off is this body. And believe me, as I'm sure some of you know, that will be a blessing. And what we're entering into is so much greater than what we're leaving behind. Now, why would a God of love allow such a thing? So that he can move you from the... A world view to an eternal view. So that he can move you from despair to hope. So that he can move you from living according to the flesh to according to the spirit. So that he can move you into the fullness of life that he literally created you for. So he can move you out of despair into love and life as he would have you live. So much greater. He writes to all the Jews, the 12 tribes that had been dispersed. And it was the 12 tribes, the Jews had been dispersed because of the persecution that arose after the stoning of Stephen. And at that time, Saul had started on his mission to imprison or kill everyone who followed Christ. And if you add to that the Roman hate for the Jews, you can see why the Jewish believers were always on the run caught between a pagan world and their own people. And James could not have been ignorant to the enormous struggle and hardship that they faced. So, inspired by the Spirit of God, he calls them to faith. In verses 2 and 4, he is writing to a people who have been displaced, who have suffered the loss of their homes, their country, and some of them had lost loved ones to martyrdom, and prison, and most had lost their possessions. They had moved from place to place, leaving persecution to arrive at persecution. Does that sound like what Paul ended up doing? They were a dispersed people without a home and without a country. So, what would James tell these people that were suffering in such a way? What word of encouragement could he possibly have for these people? Well, verse 2. Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. Now, that sounds like one of those cards you want to wad up and just throw at somebody, right? But in reality... What he is saying is, you're looking at the wrong side of things. You're looking at it from a very temporal human perspective. Your idea of loss is temporal. Your idea of peace is temporal. Your idea of happiness is temporal. Not only can it be lost to you, You can lose it and it'll never return. What I have for you in my life is abiding and will never leave you. Consider it nothing when that which is temporal, when those things that would try you in the flesh come against you. Consider it nothing but joy. Well, what is joy? It's a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Well, how can I consider it a fruit of the Spirit? Well, I don't consider the trial a fruit of the Spirit, but I consider its outcome a fruit of the Spirit because what pushes on me, and as Mike used to illustrate, what squeezes me allows the truth of his life within me to come forward. It allows me to participate in the fruit of the Spirit as it comes forward. So here's the thing. No matter what comes against me, I have Christ within me. The joy that I experience is not a joy that can be moved in and out of my life. It is a joy that abides in me. The peace that I experience is fruit of the Spirit that abides in me. Consider is that Greek word and it means To lead or to command. Now that's an interesting two definitions. It means to lead or to command. And my personal opinion is that the emphasis of this verse is commanding you to look at trials from a supernatural or spiritual perspective. It is not a perspective that is natural. It is as if you command your soul to embrace faith and look to God. Count or evaluate your circumstances allowed by God for your eternal good. Now this is how we live as spiritual people. Peter wrote to the suffering believers who were enduring testing and he said, But insofar as you are sharing Christ's suffering, keep on rejoicing so that when his joy filled with his radiance and splendor is revealed, you may rejoice with great joy. Romans 5.3 And not only this, but with joy let us exult in the sufferings and rejoice in our hardship, knowing that the hardship, distresses, pressure, trouble, produce patient endurance. You see, they know something. The apostles knew something. Peter knew something. Paul knew something. When you live and spend more time acclimating yourself to who you are in truth... When you live to the reality of your spiritual being you can become more accustomed to greater is he with that is within you than the circumstances of your world. He is greater and more precious than silver more precious than gold more precious than the circumstances of this world more precious than the rewards of this world more precious than anything this world can give you or more precious to you than the absence of any of the things that this world can give you. The reality of it is that Jesus, who is your life, is also your reward. It's the reward we're to be living to and and so much of the time we're convinced to live a Jesus plus religion, Christianity.
1: Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road, and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.